Hey, what's up guys? It's Michael from the Honest Youth Pastor. And today I want to do a follow-up video to the video we did just a few days ago called Christianity and the LGBTQ plus community. Some of the feedback I got from that video was that when I dismissed Kobe uh, Martin and Matthew Vines' comments on the clobber passages, the only thing I said about them were that they ignored the totality of scripture. And I kind of left it at that. So in this video, I want to show you what I mean by that and why I think that when we look at the totality of Scripture as well as historical context, what we'll see is that their arguments aren't valid at all. Let's get into it. Now, one of the things I did mention when I talked about Vines's and Martin's arguments was that they uh, don't even look at or address the Orthodox Jewish teaching of marriage. So what I mean by that, and I'll have links in the description as well as the ones from the other video, which talk about that if, 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 if two people of the same sex were to get married, Orthodox Judaism wouldn't even recognize it as a marriage. So if it were like to get annulled later or if they wanted to get a divorce, there would be nothing for the synagogue to do because they didn't recognize it in the first place. So it's not even considered a marriage. Now, so what do they base that on, though? Well... There's a few passages, uh, and these are the same passages that conservative Christians would also base this idea on, that it's a man and a woman coming together, and that's the only way that God's put forth for it. Now, this, this entire idea is built on the basis that we find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, in which it says, and you'll recognize this probably, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, there's two things before we go any further that you need to know. If you have kids watching this video, you should probably screen this before you have them watch it because there's going to be some things we talk about in this video that just aren't aren't PG-13. Secondly, as we go through this, um, this entire argument, like I'm not, <laughs> there's no reason to even kid around. This entire argument is based upon the fact that the Bible is authoritative uh, and it, it can dictate how we view sexuality and marriage. If you don't think the Bible is authoritative, if you don't think it's the word of God, then this is a null argument to you from the beginning. Like, there's no point for you to even watch this because you're going to disagree. Now, I welcome you to watch it, um, but if you don't believe the Bible is authoritative, you're going to have an issue through this whole thing. But all that being said, that's what we base it on. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Now, obviously, as we work through the passages, uh, we do come across some of the clobber passages. The first one being Genesis chapter 19, specifically verses 4 through 25. That's the, Sod the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, classically, you've probably heard this. I know I have. I've had pastors in the past that use this showing and giving it as an example for homosexuality and why homosexuality is a sin. Now, if any of these passages are being translated right by Kobe or by Matthew, this is probably one of the only ones that's, that's actually exegeted correctly. And what I mean by that is if we look at the context, the society, the culture, um, the argument for this passage in Genesis 19 is that part of, uh, or a large part of, the reason that God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah is because of their extreme lack of hospitality. Now, hospitality is going to be thought of a bit differently for them than it was for us. 
Uh, if you were to read through Genesis or on, what you're going to find out when it, 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 there's this, this idea culturally of hospitality, that when people come to you, you take care of them. You take care of the stranger. You take care of the immigrant. You take care of those people, which is why when we read those stories, uh, strangers come up to biblical characters we see in scripture. There's always this idea that I'm going to give you food. I'm going to give you drink. I'm going to give you lodging if you need it. And that's sort of a standard because you're supposed to do that. Now, what we see in Genesis chapter 19, verses 4 through 25, uh, throughout the story is that there, there's, this, there's this real feel that hospitality isn't like prime concern. Uh, so, for example, when the angels come into the city, we see that Lot wants them to come stay at his house and not just stay out in the square because it's very inhospitable. Uh, no one else is there to welcome them in, them in, but he knows if he leaves them out there, nothing good is going to come from that. So, they he welcomes them in and as he should he gives them food he gives them drink and then we see the story progress in which the men of the town come and they want to have their way with the angels now when i say that i think that uh matthew and colby do a good job of exegeting this passage in regards to it being an inhospitable thing i think we also have to look at a story that the biblical writers want you to connect and that's in Judges chapter 19. Judges chapter 19 is a story about the, uh, the Levites concubine. And there's so many parallels with Genesis chapter 19, you can't miss them. Now, the end of both of those is, is different, but the, every, all the events leading up to that are incredibly similar. And what we, what we can see is this happens a couple times throughout the Old Testament. Uh, this is just one example of something happening. And then as you know the history and you read this, then it points you back to the other event that was super similar to this. And you go, oh, okay. And now you can kind of understand that they're, they're connected here. There's some reason that this is here so we can learn from it and see what's happening. In regards to Genesis chapter 19 and Judges 19, what we see is that the, the, the idea and the feel that we get here from Judges 19 is that the, the author is telling us not only is nothing gotten better since Genesis 19 to here, but things have actually gotten progressively worse, even though they know the story of Genesis 19. They know God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but yet even with that, uh, that knowledge and that enormous warning, they're still not any better than they were before. Uh, and there's a whole sermon there, but we won't get into it. The idea is that these two things are supposed to be understood together, especially when you get to Judges, that you look back and you say, oh, wow. So there is this reality that there is this inhospitability, but there's a core issue beneath that. And that being that people are wicked and sinful. One of the reasons that they want to have their way with the angels is to show domineerance. They want to show power. They want to over come them. And obviously this here may not be a, of a sexual nature, but it's definitely of a perverted nature, a nature that says, I want to show you in the most vile way that you are nothing and I am something. And that's a whole lot worse than just being inhospitable. So though um, this may not directly come and say, hey, you know, you know, no heteros uh, homosexual relationships, it does give us this taste that by the time we get to Leviticus, like we know that it's not just other nations that are doing this. Like this is something that that is built in because of sin into the human nature um, that's happening. So when we do get to Levit Leviticus, these two passages in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, and Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, and we start talking about you shall not lie with a male like one lies with a female, uh, and then if there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a despicable act. 
Now, Kobe, like I said, I think he does a really good job scholarly looking at these verses. But what he fails to do, like he, he, he looks at the language, which I love that he does this, but he plays such a game with it, but ends in a way that says, well, there's no definite way to know either way here. Like it's, it, the language is really cloudy. Now, what we do know, if we if we look at Orthodox Judaism, is that Orthodox Judaism doesn't play the, well, these words are a little cloudy game. There is this real idea passed down through Orthodox tradition that this means what it sounds like. It means man lie with the man. Now, is there a cultural context when this is being given to, to, to the Israelites uh, in regards to nations around them and the fact that the nations around them are doing some really despicable things? Uh, yes, of course. And when God gives them these rules, he's saying, don't be like these other nations. Now, were these other nations sacrificing their children and doing things with children that they shouldn't? Uh, yeah, they were doing it. Uh, were they doing prostitution uh, with males as well? Uh, uh, yep. Yeah, they were. But were there also these these relationships in which just there was these same-sex relationships, whether it be older men and younger men or men of the same age? We have some fairly good evidence that that was probably happening. Now, it's a little sparse, um, so there's not a whole lot of like things we can nail to a wall here and be like, here's all the evidence. We do have much of that, though, when we get onto later in Greek and Roman culture, and we'll talk about that there. Now, before we move on to the last three clobber passages uh, that are specifically in the New Testament, the Romans, Corinthians, and the Timothy one, I do want to talk to you a little bit about uh, going back to what marriage looks like. So we obviously have the starting foundation uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, what it looks like for a man to leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and these become one. One of the things that I think maybe you won't find super important, but I wanted to look at to make sure I looked up all of the very, uh, all of the, the times that Mary, marriage, married is referenced and marriage is, is referenced throughout scripture. Now, every single one of these references uh, references a male and a female coming together at no point. And I think you already know this, but I just, I just want to point this out. Like there are so many verses to talk about marriage and, and obviously it's different forms as far as married, married marriages. There's so many verses here, but not a single one of them are indications of same sex marriages at all. This is both old Testament and new Testament. And the reason this is, is because what we see, especially in the old Testament, right? Leading forward is that there's this Orthodox Jewish tradition that has this basic understanding that marriage is a man and a woman coming together. Now, obviously in the Old Testament, are there some things that they got a little wonky on as far as, you know, multiple wives? Yes, this video is not about that. Maybe we'll make a video about that later. But the idea is that it's male, female. That is how it's set forth. And that's how it's understood, which is why that's how it's lived out. There's not like this confusion um, that Colby seems to put into this that it's kind of like, ah, who knows? Like it, it was, it's, it's known. And actually, even Colby admits that. In his book, he even says that if somebody was homosexual in the Old Testament, it would have been frowned upon and they would have not been able to live out their truth or their best self. Or I don't know how he puts it, but they, they, they still wouldn't have been able to do that because even Colby knows that if even for him, if the language is a little murky, Orthodox Jewish tradition would have understood that like that's a no, no, that's like a no go. You're not doing it. So um, with that said, let's go ahead and move on to the last three 
uh, verses that Colby and um, Matthew talk about. Now, Romans, Colby spends great, a pretty good amount of time on, in which he basically says that um, Paul's not saying that, you know, all of the things that you've heard before, which is that, you know, God gave them over to their passions, meaning that, you know, their nature and their, they, they turn and they, they go against nature. Uh, he spends a good time on this passage, but basically says that what Paul's doing primarily is setting up uh, this letter showing that, uh, that Gentiles and Jews are on the same playing field. Um, so if you ever feel like, like, so if you look at the passage, for example, it kind of builds up, it's setting up the Gentiles as these horrible people. And then it says, uh, but you do the same things. And then it, that's the flip in the passage where it's, look at these bad Gentiles. Yeah, but you Jews are the same way. And he says, it's just to show them that, you know, that, you know, they're no better. Now that's true. Uh, and I'm agreeing with him there, but like in, a lot of these instances in his book, he gets almost there and then short stops just short. I mean, just right on the line of where it actually goes just that one more step and actually demonstrates that Paul is talking about um, these same sex relationships that he is talking about uh, these homosexual lesbian relationships. Now, that's the only place, for example, and, and Colby talks about this as well, that lesbian relationships are named in the New Testament, Romans being the place. Now, let's, let's talk about that for a second, because I think this is incredibly important. And I'm going to have some links in the description below, uh, a lot of historical links. There's a couple of videos there. Um, there's also going to be some books down there that talk about this. So let's start there. If we look at, um, at Greek and Roman, Greek Roman history and understanding of sexuality uh, and sex, what we're going to find is that obviously their understanding of sex is, is different than what ours is. And so the argument, therefore, by Vines and by Martin is that, um, well, see, they have a whole different view of what sex is. So, of course, what Paul's talking about is not the same thing as we would understand it. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous video, um, both of them state that they can't see any, any point in which Paul is talking about a same-sex monogamous relationship between two individuals. Now, if we look at the history, and what we do have of the history is basically broken down uh, with just a few people. We have, uh, let me see here, um, a few different instances of historians talking about the different um, relationships that were had within the Greek and Roman culture, um, uh, specifically that Paul would have been aware of as well. So there's certain historians that talk about this, that write about this. We have some of the writings. Uh, one of them being probably one of the most notable ones is Plutarch writes about it, Herodias, Plato, Xenophon. Um, we, we have these historians writing about the culture of their day. Now, a lot of the writing of the culture of their day is about the elite society, uh, the emperors, uh, the people that would have been well-known, that would have been being documented, not necessarily the common folk. But when we understand that, what they write, uh, and there's going to be links down in the description to kind of understand Greek culture a little bit, specifically focusing on homosexuality and homosexual relationships, these were not uncommon. So one of the arguments that Vines and Martin make is that what Paul is specifically talking about when he mentions homosexuality 
is what is called pederasty. And therefore, it's not talking about the same thing that we talk about today when we say homosexual. Because when we're talking about homosexual, we're talking about two uh, men or two women that are engaging in, the, they're, they're both entering into this relationship, they know what they're getting into, um, the, the, there's, no, there's no power dynamic there, uh, and therefore it's a different thing. So there's a few things we need to clear up about pederastry just in general. Um, the idea here is that when they mention pederasty, it's this idea of an older man and a younger boy and that sort of relationship. I think you can deter uh, what, what they're kind of what they're hinting at. Now, though that was something that happened in the time of Paul and uh, Plutarch, that is not the only way that that was that's like it's, it's not it doesn't have to be older men and younger men it could be men that were fairly close in fact uh younger men was any any guy that wasn't able to grow a full beard yet so we're going anywhere between 13 all the way up to 18. Um, sometimes they would castrate them which would also prolong that amount of time so you could be talking about guys all the way up into the 30s um, before that could even happen in fact nero um, did he married two guys and these were two people that were really close to his age that he had actual marriage ceremonies for that were known throughout the empire. So it's not like Paul didn't have a frame of reference for this. There's actually two books below. If you want to look at them, um, it's going to be boring reading to you, to be honest, but it does mention the history and all the documented instances uh, within the Roman Empire in which that we have that show that it's not just older men, younger men, though that was one of the primary ways that was shown, but it wasn't the only way. And you're, when you're thinking about it and the way Vines and Martin present it in their books is that it was like, you know, older guys and really little, little, like almost kids. Uh, and though that's, that was, that did happen, that was not the exclusive form of pederasty. You're talking about older guys, uh, some of them as young as 30, and then younger guys, some of them as old as 17, engaging in these relationships um, in all sorts of forms, whether it be in the army, whether it be the elite society, whether it just be um, some, <laughs> some dudes going to a bathhouse. Like The idea here is that it's not this exclusive uh, older male, little boy situation that Matthew and uh, Colby make it out to be. That's not, that's how they paint the situation going, well, that's what Paul was talking about. And we are totally on board with that because that's horrible. Yeah, that's incredibly horrible, but that's not the only thing that was happening in, in, in Greece uh, and Rome during that time that Paul lived. Paul and Plutarch were, they overlap as far as the times that they were alive. So the things that Plutarch writes about, Paul would have been very aware of. Now, let's get into that because when Paul writes Romans and when he writes 1 Corinthians and when he writes 1 Timothy, there are certain things that are happening during those times and they're incredibly important when we actually look at this text. So let's start here. When Paul gives instructions, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33, when he gives instructions in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2, when he gives instructions in, in Titus uh, 1 verse 6, he speaks of how men and women are supposed to operate in marriage together. There's going to be an article below that does a really good job. They, they look at Paul's writing. Um, I think it's in it's the Corinthian passage paired up with Plutarch's writing. And they look specifically at what the advice on marriage is. And this, this author does a really good job of demonstrating how 
radical Paul was in what he was saying at the time compared to Roman culture and how men and women were operating together. The short of it is basically Paul was, um, the, the, the writer of the article calls it an egalitarian relationship. I would call it a much more complementarian relationship. And you can read the article and decide for yourself. But basically Paul's setting up this dynamic where the man is not like owner of the woman. It's this relationship in which they operate together. Uh, and then Plutarch is setting up the classic Roman uh, idea of the man owns his household. He commands everything. He can do whatever he wants, but he, everyone else has to submit to him. And Paul's actually setting up this dynamically radical vision of what marriage is between a man and a woman exclusively. Um, and that exclusivity comes in in 1 Timothy and Titus, where he talks about uh, elders in particular are supposed to be a one uh, or faithful to their wives or a husband of one wife. Now for us, that doesn't sound like a big thing, but when you look at the culture that Paul is writing in, that Plutarch is writing in, what you're going to see is that this was pretty uncommon. Like it wasn't a big surprise to anybody if a man would go to the temple and, you know, use the prostitutes there to worship or that he would just have somebody on the side, whether it be a heterosexual or a homosexual relationship. So when Paul talks about this complementarian relationship between a man and a woman, and that this man was supposed to be faithful to his wife, he was supposed to be a one woman man, this is dynamically different than what's happening around him at the time. So not only does this reveal to us that Paul is actually talking about uh, homosexuality between two men, regardless of the age. Um, he's also talking about just fornication and adultery in general to the people in these churches that he's trying to instruct. He's, he's saying that Christians, this is what marriage is. This is what relationship is supposed to look like. I mean, he's, he's building off what he, he would have already learned and been taught as a teacher of the law, I mean, he already is starting with the Orthodox Jewish view, which we've already talked about, and he's continuing it on through Christ, but he's doing so in a very radical way for his time, basically just, just undermining how, how the Romans would have seen marriage and relationship and sexuality, which was really this open, free thing. Um, and he's saying, no, that's not how this works. This is not what this looks like. So with that in mind, like understanding the culture of the day, being that it was not uncommon for a man to have some side chick or some side guy or go to the temple. Like this was not uncommon. It was very well documented, apparently, that um, not only by Plutarch, but Herodias, by Plato, by Xenophon, like these, these, these writers documented the history, the, the culture going on around them. Um, and what we see when we read that is that it it wasn't this strange thing in fact it was it was almost the norm it was almost it was the norm that yeah of course you know jim has this side chick or this side guy or maybe both so when paul comes in and these gentiles are being converted when he tells them that you're supposed to be faithful to your wife you're supposed to be a one woman man this is dynamically different than what they're used to when he tells them that they're actually supposed to uh, interact and submit to one another and that whole marriage thing that he talks about in Ephesians that we read at all the weddings, right? Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 through 33. When, when he talks about that, for us, we're like, yeah. For them, they're like, what? 
Like this is dynamically different. So with that in mind, we're going to look at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. And it says this, do not be deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkard, nor the rivalers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you, right? That's the great verse, but such were some of you. The argument here is that, that Paul is not talking about homosexuality as we would understand it. In fact, one of the arguments that's used, not by Colby or by Vine, so we're going kind of outside of these books, but one of the arguments used by people currently is that arsenikoitai, we don't know what that means. We have no idea what that means. There's going to be a real quick video down below, an article to a Kevin DeYoung video, and then an article under the video where he kind of explains where that comes from. You've probably already heard the argument, but I'll let you go watch that. Basically, Paul's pulling from Leviticus 18 and 20. Paul's understanding of Leviticus 18 and 20 isn't the same understanding that Vines, uh, that Vines or, or Martin has. Their understanding is that, oh, he was talking about the cultures outside them and around them. He didn't want them to be like, be like that. But Paul's directly pulling from Leviticus, saying that, no, it's this man in bed with man situation when he talks in 1 Corinthians now, same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 through 10, where it says, Law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly, the sinner, for the unholy, for the profane, for those that kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and moral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Paul used arsenikoite there again. The idea here being that he is naming the things he sees around him in his culture that are anti-gospel, that are anti-sound teaching. And we, we can try to play the game of, well, you know, it's not the same thing. But as we found out more about the culture that surrounded Paul's day, the more it's clear that it was really not the exception, but almost the norm in many cases in which homosexual relationships were, were there. Not only in the higher up elite, like emperor status, where Nero had two, um, two husbands. Um, there was actually, I forget which one it was. There was actually an emperor that was a cross-dresser. Basically, transgenderism uh, was kind of the allusion to that. There'll be a video down below as well. By the way, a number of these videos I'm putting below are not from Christians. These are for non-believers that are simply looking at the history saying, no, this was pretty prevalent. Like, so there's not a spin on this. There's not some Christians going, well, look at all this evidence. Like these are non-believers that are just looking at the evidence saying, no, this was pretty rampant. So there's no, there's no way you can be like, well, he's just twisting it. No, these are non-believing historians, right? They don't believe in Jesus that are saying, look at the, look what was happening here. I mean, this was, this was accepted. This was known. This was, they were okay with it. And Paul was addressing the culture around him when he looks at these things. Now, to finish up this, what we want to look at is the reality that um, Paul, when he's, when he's preaching and teaching to either the Romans or the Corinthians or when he's giving instruction to Timothy, there is this obvious sexual immorality that's prevalent around him. And what he's doing is he's naming that. He's, he's saying, this is what it looks like. 
this is where we're at. Now, the one thing that I do want to make sure that I'm as fair as possible on is both Vine's and Martin's arguments are that um, we don't have any examples of monogamous same-sex lifelong relationships condemned. And that's true. Uh, even within the Greek like examples that I gave, even when you watch those videos, even when you read the articles, uh, even if you, if you if you want to go down that rabbit hole and get in the books, um, even in those instances, there is an example of just a monogamous relationship. But again, we have to look at that within the cultural context of the situation. They wouldn't have had monogamous lifelong heterosexual or homosexual relationships, um, mainly because um, the idea within that culture was that um, if a, like if a man pursued a woman of any age, he was doing so for procreation. And if he if he approached a man uh, of any age, he was doing so for basically for gratification um, or for partnership. There was a couple there that were for partnership. Again, you'll have to check the links. The idea here is, though, that they wouldn't have just pursued it um, because there was this need for this ongoing lineage in their day. Now, there is an example, and you'll see it uh, if you go through these videos, that there's actually, it's looked at as a male-on-male relationship. This is not older male, younger male. This is males of equal age. That that would have actually looked at like as the purest love is how the Greeks would have seen it because it wasn't done for a power dynamic. It wasn't done for procreation. It was done just out of mutual love for one another. Um, and that's how, I forget exactly which example that is, but that, that is in there. But the idea that Paul wasn't aware of these type of relationships is just out of the question. Of course, he was aware of these relationships. So when he talks about this, when he talks about homosexuality, when he talks about uh, fornication, when he talks about sexual immorality, when he talks about adultery, Paul is literally covering as many bases as he possibly can when he's talking about this to those in Rome or Corinth, or any of the other places he writes, because what he's saying is, you guys are surrounded by this. Like, this isn't an abnormality, right? So for us now, I think in America, because this is where most of you are going to be watching this video from in America, there are things like in commercials or in TV shows or just in the general culture that you see that this is becoming more and more prevalent. Like, I just want to set the tone. Like, looking at the history here, like, the great, like, like Plutarch would have been like, that's it. That's all. You, like that's all that's happening. You have a you have a parade every year. No, nah, no, nah, we do this all the time. Like I just want you to see the distinction. Is that for Paul when he's preaching this and when he's teaching, the idea is that they're surrounded by it. If if you just look at the history, and I would encourage you to look at the the non if you look at the non Christians view at the history, what you're going to see is that they're saying no, this was everywhere. So Vines's argument, Martin's argument, that Paul didn't have a category for this is just, it's, it's ludicrous. Of course he did. Um, we see this clearly just from, from what we're looking at. So when he's talking in Corinthians and Timothy about um, the people that won't inherit the kingdom of God, or when he's talking about um, the unrighteous and he mentions homosexuality, like these are the things he has in mind because Paul is operating out of the Genesis chapter 2 ideal that a man leaves his mother and father, clings to his wife, and the two are made one flesh. Which is why 
when he gets to his teaching in Ephesians and in Timothy and in Titus, he's talking about being faithful to one's wife, to only have one wife, to have this relationship in which there's this mutual love and respect, which, by the way, is incredibly radical for his time. So when I say, when I said in the other video that Colby and Matthew overlook the overarching narrative of the Bible, this is what I mean, is that if you look up all the passages on passages on husband, on wife, on marriage, married, marry. Like if you look up any of those verses, you're going to see a continual idea that marriage is between a man and a woman. And you're going to see that message continued, not only from the Old Testament, but you're going to see that continued in the New Testament by the teachings of Paul. You're going to see that, for example, when Jesus debates the Pharisees on divorce, that there's this understanding that marriage is a man and a woman. There's not even this under, there's, there's no indication that the Pharisees or Jesus had a category for same sex marriage because within Judaism, Orthodox Judaism that they would have been operating out of that wasn't even acknowledged as a thing. And then when you get to Paul's writings and Paul's words, Paul is operating in a, in a Gentile area in which this is rampant, which is exactly opposite of what we see within Judaism. It's just rampant in the culture. And Paul is writing to these new believers saying, I know you're used to doing all of this. I know you're used to seeing all of this, but you follow Jesus now. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what God has outlined as appropriate relationships for humanity. So hopefully that clears it up, uh, what I meant by they ignore the totality of Scripture. They ignore um, not only the verses on marriage, but the basis of what marriage would have been understood at uh, as within the Jewish tradition, as well as what we see even within the New Covenant as Paul goes out to the Gentiles and what he says there. So hopefully this was helpful for you guys. Um, if not, <laughs> I'm sorry that I wasted 35 minutes of your day. Um, but if it was helpful to you, um, make sure you leave a like, you share it, you comment, you feed the algorithm and help this video get out to more people. Guys, thank you for watching. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you later.